Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Fino giù in Senegal, profumo d'Africa, nella Nuova Guinea, la sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia, riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania. Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world, so I wanted to give fans all over Napoli Twitter, Napoli Instagram, Napoli Facebook an opportunity to speak their minds, to give us their opinions, and this way our listeners are not listening only to my opinion. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're heading back to New York City today. As far as I'm concerned, today's guest is an absolute legend on Napoli Twitter, Not to get too sappy or anything, but today's guest was one of the first people to welcome me to the whole Napoli Twitter community. When I first signed up, no one knew who I was at the time, that's for sure. He introduced me to a lot of the guests that we've already had on Forza Napoli Worldwide and many others who we'll probably have on in the future. So he's definitely someone I have the utmost respect for. Without further ado, Joey Cacavalle, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be on your podcast, and uh, I have the same type of respect for you as you have for me. Well, I appreciate that. As usual, we're going to talk about the latest match, which was a massive 2-0 win over Roma that I ruined for you, uh, which I'm really sorry about, uh, but there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty to talk about there. Uh, we'll also revisit the coaching situation and whether it still makes sense to replace Gattuso at the end of the season. But we always start with our guest story, my favorite part of the podcast always. Uh, so, Joey, I'll hand the mic over to you. Please tell us how you became a Napoli fan. For me, it really all started as a little kid. I remember going to play a game on Sunday. And uh, when I came home from the game, I had, uh, I had family over for Sunday dinner. And um, I remember walking into a very loud house, which isn't unusual, but... Um, 
my uncle's screaming, oh, what did he used to want? Yeah, and I'm just walking into a crazy house. And uh, when I walked in to see what all the fuss was, I walk into the uh, TV room and I have my uncles from Italy over, uh, all my cousins, and they're all watching a game. And when I get inside to look at the TV, I see this little guy running around with the touch of God at his feet. It was a surreal moment for me. I've never seen Maradona play before. And it just gave me the chills to see this little guy run circles around everyone. And basically everything he did on the field was nothing short of amazing. I couldn't believe half the things that I would see. And um, growing up, my uh, my father was a huge Interista and uh, he he loved Inter so much, but even he was impressed. And even he was on his feet clapping. And uh, it was just, you know, it was just an amazing moment. And ever since then, I wanted to be like him, even though my game was nothing like his. But it was just, it was just a surreal moment for me, especially as a kid. He was an idol. And what means the most to me is what he did for the city more off the field than what he actually did for them on the field. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, I consider you one of the kind of fathers of, of Napoli Twitter, if you will, someone who, who was old enough not to make you sound old, but because uh, we're, I think, around the No, same no, age. no, it's all right. I'm old. <laughs> well, I think we're the same vintage, I would say. Uh, you might have a couple of years on me, but certainly had a had the ability or, or the opportunity to appreciate the greatness of Maradona that a lot of people that we interact with really didn't. There are a lot of Napoli fans out there that have that that same feeling and that same sentiment, and he's the reason why they support that club, even if their their parents did not. I mean, we've had a couple of guests on now. It's kind of funny. Inter was a, a team, I guess, because of the success that they had um, as well. But Inter is a, a, a team that a lot of Napoli fans fathers supported uh, ironically but yeah i mean i agree that what he did for the city i mean everyone knows of what he's thought of in napoli and and all the murals all over the city he he really is considered like a god there and you know my my favorite story i i sent this into the caltro guys when uh, they did their their episode on maradona's passing and they were looking for stories about him and, and the one that i sent in was the charity game that he played that the the club didn't want him to, but there was uh, a child that needed uh, financial support because I think he had uh, a medical condition or whatnot. And so Maradona arranged this game to be played like on the local field and thousands of people showed up to watch and he, they were wearing full kits and, and the guy was still, even in that game, he had such a such an appreciation, such a passion for the sport that it didn't matter if he was at the San Paulo with, you know, 70, 80, 90,000 people watching, or if he was playing at the park across the street, he still played the same way. And he was, he, he scored a nice goal in that game too, in the mud and he dribbled around the keeper and scored. So, you know, Maradona is definitely a, a huge reason why a lot of, a lot of Napoli fans support the club, even, even the ones that didn't get to necessarily watch him back then. I mean, we've, we've grown, we've learned about him and, and certainly have appreciation for him now. Yeah. And, I feel bad for all Napoli fans that didn't get a chance to see him play because watching tapes 
of a legend play is just something that you can't duplicate. You can't you can't relive the moment twenty years later by watching film. It just it just doesn't do it any justice, you know. And um, a lot of people want to compare him to Messi, but it, it's not it's not a real comparison. He he just he did everything for the city. And when he first came, he had no idea why Napoli was the way that it was. He he had no idea why the Northerners stuffed their nose up to uh, to Naples. And you know, after playing with us for a while, he he got to live it, and then he understood. And that's the only way that you can really have an appreciation for all that he did. Because if somebody looking on the outside tried to look in and and figure it out, it wouldn't it wouldn't make no sense to them. They'll be like, oh yeah, he was a legend. He was a great player. No, 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 no. He did much more than that. He was much more than just the greatest player of all time. Much more. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that had to do with his upbringing. And he kind of came from a similar type of situation in terms of not having a whole lot. You know, it's Napoli is a beautiful city, but there's not a lot of room for employment. There's, you know, there's been situations of people from the north dumping hazardous materials in the south and things like that causing disease all of that type of thing um so yeah he he did get it and and i think it's not even fair to compare him to a player like messi even on the field because it was such a different game back then i mean you again for me it's mostly watching old footage and the way the game was played and and the way they tackled back then was just insane i mean the strategy was just take him out and and I don't so I think I'm not saying one is better than the other necessarily. I just think it's impossible to compare because it's it's almost completely different games. It's definitely impossible. And yeah, you're right. There every team that played against Napoli at that time, their tactics were to just take him out. And you could see it, you could even see that on the tape if you if you watch any of the old footage, even right now. Like, it was just brutal. And it wasn't like it is now where, like, you know, if you breathe on a guy, it's a yellow card. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. Like, you could you could literally take his legs out all game. And, you know, they may give you a yellow if you take him out for a third time. But that was the way it was. And, you know, uh, you had a lot of great teams in Serie A, and they, they weren't trying to have this little, this little guy from Argentina come in and just dominate. But... He was that good that there was really nothing they could do about it. Yeah, he was. So speaking of dominating games, we we did have a fairly dominant performance on the weekend. Uh, we got a huge, huge win over Roma, 2-0. Dries Mertens with a brace. Let's start with just your, your general thoughts on the match. How do you feel about how the whole thing went down? I love the way we played the first half. It's very interesting because if you... If you just heard that Merton's got a brace, then you would be like, oh, wow, he's he must be all over the place. To be honest, he really didn't touch the ball that often at all. And and this is the common theme with strikers for Napoli. We just don't get them involved that early in the game. And Merton's was going to take it upon himself to take that direct kick. And if you watch the replay, he was eyeing it the whole time. I thought... Insignia would definitely take that direct kick. But you could see that they were actually working on that in, in training. And it showed. 
the ball almost hit Zielinski in the face. But I mean, nevertheless, it was it was a great direct kick. And um, after that, that through ball from Insigne, that vintage through ball from Insigne, I thought that maybe he thought Calderon was playing the right wing because that was that was beautiful. And he just gave a beautiful through ball. Palatano with a nice assist. With an, he could have very easily tried to score on that play, but he headed it across, and he gave Mertens a wide-open header, which he almost botched, but he still scored it. And to be honest, I really believe that that might have been the only two times he actually touched the ball. Uh, he didn't really work himself much into the game, and I feel like sometimes Napoli works the ball on the wings so much that their strikers are just, just ready to get the ball in the box. Especially when you're playing with a false nine like Mertens, you should really try to work him in, get him a feel for the game even before that. I agree. He didn't touch the ball a whole lot, but I I don't know if you thought the same thing, but at least the way he was running early on gave me some encouragement. I thought he looked like he wasn't laboring as much as he was in some of the previous matches. He was pressuring Paul Lopez. He was dropping a little bit deeper. I think on that second goal, the play started, if I'm not mistaken, with Koulibaly intercepting a pass. I think it was Cristante that tried to play the ball up the middle, and then he played it to Mertens, who came back and laid it off to Fabian. Fabian played it to Insigne, and then that's how, how the goal came. One thing I like about Mertens is that he seems to make his teammates around him better, especially Insigne, because they have such a great chemistry between them that you often see them switching positions. Insigne comes in, Mertens goes out, one goes up, one comes back which makes them harder to defend. So I think he does do a lot of things off the ball that maybe we don't notice as much or maybe we don't appreciate as much. And I think also he benefited from Gattuso having a game plan in this case. I think the intent was always for him to play sort of 55, 60, 65 minutes, which changes your the way you approach a game, right? Because if you know you're only going to play for an hour, you can go hard to that entire hour and not have to think about, okay, I maybe need to conserve my energy to be able to last the full 90. It's funny because I, I did a poll on Mertens and, and Osiman on Twitter asking before the match who should start and about 70% voted for Osiman. I'm curious to know, Joy, did you, who did you think should have started before you saw the match and knew the, the outcome? Uh, for me, I'll always take Mertens in a big spot. I'll always take him to start. I know that, you know, he's had some rough games this year. And, you know, he's getting up there in age. So I don't think he should start every game. But I think on important games, I would like him to start. Only because uh, Osaman is growing. And he's he's kind of green right now. You know, he's young. He's he's working on his game. But I I, I just feel like Merton has the continuity with the core that's already in place. And to be honest, I think he's one of the most versatile players that we have on the team. Like, you could throw him on the wing, and he'll he'll always perform. And you're right. He's always great on the ball and off the ball. And uh, I just thought that he, he didn't have a predominantly great game, but he came up big when it counted. To be honest... I was really surprised by the way Roma approached this game also. I thought that they would have had a high press because we've struggled with that all year. And they were very lackadaisical, stayed back. It's almost like from the first five minutes, 
we started to dominate and they were just they were just sitting back taking it. And I was really shocked to see that, especially especially with Merton's on the field. If Chucky Lozano would have started and Osaman was in there, then you could understand them playing back. But with Merton's on the field, I thought for sure they would put a high press against us and um, just make it hard for us. And I didn't see that. I was really surprised not to see that. And maybe maybe this is why Roma struggles in big matches. I agree. I I thought Fonseca got his tactics completely wrong. It, it was a very timid approach uh, in that first half. And we all know this as Napoli fans that what you said, if you press high, we tend to make mistakes. We try to play out of the back. At best, we're probably just launching the ball forward and giving it back to the opponent. Instead, Roma drops into their own half and they let us come to them. And that kind of supports the way we play. The only logical explanation that I could think of why they might have taken that approach was because they played midweek. Maybe they they were trying to let us tire out. I know you're a big fan of, of MMA and, and fighting, and, and that's a tactic we do see in boxing and, and in mixed martial arts where sometimes the plan is, okay, let me just protect, conserve my energy, let my opponent burn themselves out, and then and then attack. And, and maybe that was the plan, and it just backfired. But at the same time, I, I argued on my preview that I didn't think rest was going to be an issue for Roma because of the way they played that second leg against Shakhtar in the Europa League where they they rested a lot of players because they went into that game with a 3-0 lead. They made subs, so a lot of their key players didn't play that much. And even the approach that they took in that game was was very much an approach of conserving energy because they had that lead. So... You know, we'll talk about the coaches later, but you're right. Fonseca has has really let this club down as far as performance against the top clubs. As you said, we were very positive, uh, at least in the first half. How did you feel about you know our approach in the second half? We tend to, when we get a lead, at least this time it was a two-goal lead, but we tend to just kind of sit back and let our opponents come to us. Now, fortunately, Roma weren't able to score. They had really only two clear-cut chances they had uh it was both by Pellegrini one was a header right at the start of the second half and then the second was a shot after um Koulibaly made a bad pass to turn the ball over I think it was Tal Shirawi he squared to Pellegrini and he he fired a rocket off the upright obviously with only two chances you like your odds but how did you feel about again that approach of protecting the lead I hate it (laughs) I mean there's no other way to say it I hate that kind of play it's old school. I understand that. And when you have a good defensive team like Napoli, it's understandable to a certain extent, but I don't like it. I'm the type where I feel like you have to play like how your team is capable of. And and I believe that Napoli is the type of team when they get a two-goal lead, they could very easily step on the neck and make it a four-goal lead. And I feel like to put teams away and let them lose hope is the way to go. And our team, well, you know, Napoli is is built like that. So, yeah, in playing like that, you could very easily give up a goal. But you know what? You park the bus, you sit 11 back, and you could very easily let up a goal like that. You know, just one easy turnover like Kulabala gave up. Let's be honest. You know, as, as soon as it hit the post, I was like, wow, maybe we really do have a chance to win this game because every Napoli fan knows then when we sit back like that, we're going to let up a goal. I think it was just uh, not in the cards for Roma. 
And um, maybe tired legs did come into play. I, I know Oshawa had a great chance too. And Koulibaly came up big in that spot. But um, I really feel like Roma had the wrong approach. And, uh, you know, they were forced to press in the, uh, in the second half. And we sat back and it worked out. And, you know, sometimes it does work out for us. But I would rather not approach the second half like that. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, once Roma started pressing, we saw the same the same mistakes and, and had the same pressure on us that we did in other matches like against Atalanta or against Milan when they did it right from the start. And, and we didn't look anywhere near as good in the second half as we, we did in the first half. And you're right, we have the quality on this team that sometimes the best defense is a good offense, right? Where keep the ball, keep applying the pressure, pin them in their end, and it's going to be a lot harder for them to score. When you sit back, just like Roma did against us in the first half, you're you're welcoming the attack. And, you know, had Pellegrini scored that header at the start of the second half, this could have been an entirely different outcome, right? I mean, they would have had 45 minutes to get just one goal to equalize and potentially more to to win it. So I, I agree. I, I don't like that approach. Fortunately, it worked out in our favor uh, this time. I mean, we do have to give our, our defenders credit because I thought they played a really good game and we'll get to them as well. But before we do, one player that does, I guess you can say, excel in that type of situation or make this team better in that type of situation where we're sitting back is Victor Osman because you can bring him on, in this case, off the bench, and he gives you that that outlet. When you need to take some pressure off of your defenders, you can just play the ball long to him. He has the pace that he's going to outrun pretty much anyone to that ball, even if he starts the game, let alone if he's coming in off the bench with fresh legs against tired defenders. And he did do a good job of, at that, holding up the ball. Um, how did you feel of about Osman's play off the bench? I feel like he had a solid game. I love that ability. He has the ability, like you said, to hold the ball up and and wait for teammates. And I think that's I think that's huge. I think every nine should be able to do that. Unfortunately, playing with a false nine, it's not really Merton's style to do that. It's not really in his game to do that. But to have an athletic nine that could hold the ball up like Osterman does and be able to wait for his teammates, I think it's huge. He had a solid second half when he came in. I wouldn't say it was extra special or anything like that, but I felt like he played solid. I felt like he did his job. And um, it just wasn't in the cards for us to push up and give him chances in front of goal. But I feel like I feel like his legs were in it. And... Um, I feel like he gave Mancini a, a ton of problems. And, uh, you know, it was a nice little matchup. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I agree. He can only do so much with, with that type of service where we're just launching the ball to him and he's a bit on an island. Um, you mentioned Mancini, so let's let's address that whole situation. He had a couple of tackles on Osaman that warranted at least a yellow, if not a red. He was already on a yellow. Um, that he picked up at the end of the first half. So even a yellow would have seen him sent off. I knew Mancini was a dirty player, but now I absolutely hate this guy. How did you feel about that treatment from Mancini? And also, how did you feel about Osman's reaction? Because that's something that's <laughs> talking about as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't stand the guy either. I, let's, let's just face facts here. Uh, the first incident, 
he turned around and just swung his leg and he caught Osman around his knee. So, I mean, that probably should have been a yellow. But the second incident with him basically just blatantly spiking Osman around his knee with his spikes up and his cleats out, it, it just that's a straight red. I'm sorry. Especially the way that fouls are called nowadays. Everything is so soft that I couldn't believe that it wasn't a red. And the fact that they didn't even give him a second yellow for that, it, it, it just didn't make any sense. But, you know, listen, I don't go into games thinking that uh, the ref is going to make the right call because 90% of the time they're not going to. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, they're just not giving fouls to Osman. I don't believe that either. I feel like they just miss a ton of calls. And, uh, yeah, they might be, you know, they might have missed that one. I, I have no idea how. I really don't. I mean, that's a straight red all day, every day. Mancini's a dirty player. He's always been. This is, this is nothing new. It's just we got to see how, how blatant it could be. Like, you know, I mean, the play was over. There, were, there was no reason for him to do that at all. And I got to tell you, if you watch the game, a lot of commentators will be like, oh, you know, he shouldn't, Osman shouldn't get involved in that. Yeah, okay. You try doing that when you're getting spiked like that. Back in the day, like if someone would have did that to me when I was playing, I would have punched him in his face. The, the way that he got in his face to let him know, you're not going to do that to me, but keep his hands to himself. For a young player like that, I mean, you got to respect that. In the heat of the moment, it takes a lot to restrain yourself like that. I, I like the passion. I think as long as he's able to control it in a way that he's not letting it affect his game, because, you know, these some of these older players, they're professionals. They know how to, especially defenders, you think of a guy like Killini, they know how to get under your skin. So as long as he can control that and not let it affect his game, I'm perfectly fine with it. As far as the refereeing goes, I agree. It's been pretty inconsistent for a while now in Serie But I just don't get how, you know, we have VAR now, and that's, one of the things VAR is supposed to be able to do is to call the referee over and say, hey, have another look at this. I saw something. It looks like a clear kickout. That didn't happen. You mentioned unfavorable treatment, not getting the calls. This is the second week in a row now where Osman's been taken out. Well, not he wasn't taken out in this game. He was lashed out, I guess you can say. Last week, we had a bit of a different situation where Teo Hernandez took Osman out on the wing after he didn't get a penalty call. So maybe there was a bit of a, a retaliation there. Do you think Osman's not getting enough protection from the league? I'm not entirely positive of that. I do feel like this Mancini, he should have got a straight red. There's no doubt about that. And even the first foul or the first incident should have been at least the yellow. But that foul on uh, Theo Hernandez I feel like that's just tough football. And I know a lot of Napoli fans aren't going to want to hear that, but I feel like maybe a yellow, you know, but people will call him for a straight red. I don't think that's a straight. I think that's hard nosed football. You know, this Mancini incident was totally different. It's after the play. There's no reason why he should have been on the field after that. There's no reason at all. And, and it should have went to VAR, you know, at least have a second look at it. I mean, <laughs> It was so it was so blatant and, and so intentional that it's hard to see because you know that the play is not being protected. Now, if we're going to go back throughout the season, 
and talk about if he's been getting calls. I don't really think he's getting a lot of calls, but you know what? He's a new player in the league. He's a young player. And sometimes young players like that don't get those calls. Maybe we're noticing it more because, you know, it's our, it's our young prospect and he's so promising. But at the same time, I'm not going to say that just yet. Yeah, that's an interesting point because there was another moment in the match where Insignia got a little nick and it didn't look like the call was going to be given. And he just kind of held up and he looked back at DiBello and the foul was given. And that could be because he's been in the league for a long time. And in a way, whether you agree with it or not, it's almost like you have to earn the respect of the officials or, or build up some credibility before you get those types of calls. Back to the the foul by or lack of foul by Mancini, the one that wasn't called that should have been. One thing I did like to see from Mario Rui was him coming forward and, and getting into some players' faces. And we've all on as Napoli fans have had plenty to say about Mario Rui's play, but one thing I think we all have to respect about this guy is he is looking to get in people's faces. He's looking for a fight. Yeah. And um, I haven't been his biggest fan to say the least, not at all. But listen, when the guy has a good game, whether you're a fan or not, you have to call it like you see it. You know what I'm saying? He had a great game. I I was actually very impressed the way he played defensively. Usually when Mario Roy has a, has a solid game, it's usually because of what he's doing offensively. Very rarely do you hear someone praise him for what he's doing defensively. And I feel like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I feel like he did that yesterday. I feel like even even on the crosses, even on the crosses from uh, Roma's left wing, he was up in the air and he was heading the ball away and he was all around. He played solid. And yeah, we all know, every Napoli fan knows that that he's not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to get in anyone's face. You know, we all love that about him for sure, because uh, we wish we had another 10 guys just like that. I was definitely concerned about our back four heading into this match. We, Because Di Lorenzo was suspended, we had to go with Mario Rui on the at left back and uh, LCT Sai at right back with uh, Manolas not quite fully recovered. We had to start Maximovic again who, again, wasn't particularly good, but I thought the fullbacks were excellent. One of my keys to the match in my preview was that we had to stop Roma on the wings, and I barely heard Spinazzola and Karsdorp's names called in this match. I think Spinazzola had a couple of crosses in the second half. Karsdorp had one kind of shot cross that Ospina saved fairly comfortably, but other than that, our fullbacks completely shut them down. Uh, You mentioned Mario Rui. I thought he was probably the better defender in the second half when Roma were getting forward a lot more. He, You mentioned yeah, some of those headed clearances. He had a couple of them at the back post where he headed the ball out. He was calm on the ball. One thing we don't like about this team is sometimes we try to get a little bit too fancy at the back and, and play short passes where I thought yesterday's game on Sunday, if we weren't sure, we just cleared the ball out. And I think that's also a benefit of having Osiman up there that you know you can do that. What did you think of Hisai's performance? He came off a great match um, against Milan. I thought he was pretty solid again, um, especially in the first half. What did you think? Yeah, I thought he had a solid game too. I'm obviously not a fan of his either. And to be honest, he's had some really, really terrible games this year, like really bad, like to the point where you're wondering why he's even on the team. But 
his last couple starts, he, he's actually played really solid, and it usually goes unnoticed. And the reason why is because you don't expect much from him, and when he actually does do something, it's just like, oh, okay, well, he's doing what a normal fullback does. But it's big for him to come up in those spots because he's had so many bad games this year, and he's had so many spots where he's had these blunders, and you're just scratching your head like, what the hell is this guy doing? But he came up big yesterday. I felt like they both came up big. I feel like Maxi came up big. I feel like everything just gelled yesterday. And I don't know why, but I'm, I'm not really worried about whoever starts defensively in a big game. I feel like this core of Napoli players is just rises up to big moments in big games. And I feel like Roma, on the other hand, hasn't done the same. And I feel like the veterans, even though, you know, we have some injuries defensively, when you put these veterans in there, they're able to step up in a big spot. And I feel like that's what they did yesterday. Yeah, exactly. I guess with Hisai and Mario Rui, we know that they can have moments of greatness or, or just moments of goodness, <laughs> if you want to make up a word. But you want to see it on a more consistent basis. So hopefully Hisai can keep that up. One thing I was impressed with, um, we know he's better as a right back, which is not a position he's going to play out often with Di Lorenzo as, as the other option. But I thought that he was a bit more positive, uh, a bit more aggressive on the ball in the sense that when he did have the ball, he was looking for options in front of him as opposed to just playing the ball back all the way to our keeper or, or to our center backs. He did that when when he didn't have any options, but I thought... You know, he was looking for Politano on the wing. He was looking for Fabian or Demme in the middle. Um, and that helped us to kind of pin Roma in their own half. And then I thought, again, particularly in the first half, he, he did a great job of defending Spinazzola where it wasn't anything overly complicated, I guess you could say. Really, all he did was he just jockeyed him. He kept him on, on the outside and, and he didn't dive in, which is something that he has done and he's done in the box and conceded penalties, but he just, he stayed back, he kept his distance and then either Politano or them or Fabian would come over and help. And Spinazzola had nowhere to go, but just to, to pass the ball off again. Uh, so we completely eliminated him. I didn't love Maximovic's performance. I, I mean, I don't know now I, where my expectations are with him. I think early on he had a, a couple of 50, 50 balls that he lost head in Jekyll, but I mean, Jekyll's a, a solid striker and he's a big body he's he's hard to defend and then he had one play where he failed to clear the ball out and i think pedro skied his shot over the bar but all in all a, a solid defensive performance and even though we don't like this approach of sitting back and defending i agree with you that these guys have all stepped up in those big moments it's like they sensed that opportunity and you know they did it against juve they did it against milan now they they've done it against roma and we walked out with the three points yeah joe i agree and I'll never worry about this team defensively in a big game. I just won't. I feel like they always come up big. I feel like in bigger games, we're usually more inclined to struggle offensively than we would defensively. For whatever reason, we'll throw our veterans in there. They'll all come up big in a big spot. And it's nice to see, you know, th this team in big games, not worried about it all. Playing against mid-table teams and relegation teams, on the other hand, that, that scares the hell out of me because every Napoli fan knows that 
we're we're always good to give up games to them, always. And you know, that's my biggest fear coming towards the end of the season. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost counterintuitive because I saw someone posted about this earlier today. I think it was Prince Salad who we've had on the podcast before that. We've got a couple of big games left. We have the makeup game against Juve, and then we have Lazio and Inter. And then the rest of the teams are in the bottom nine or ten in the table, but definitely bottom half of the table. So you would think, okay, that's we're in a good spot here. Um, but at the same time, there seems to be this kind of mental lapse that we have where maybe we we get a little ahead of ourselves or we think we're better than we are and we don't respect our opponents and then we we drop these points. But there's a lot of game to play still. But the way things are going, we're definitely on the up. We're now fifth place, a couple points back of Atalanta, and we have that game in hand against Juve after the Crotone match, which is after the international break, which doesn't come at a great time in terms of our momentum. But if we win that Juve game, we're in a top four spot. We've won five of our last six games in all competitions. Uh, that includes the second leg against Granada in the Europa League. And since getting knocked out, we have four wins and a draw. And even that draw was that seconds away from being a win against Sassuolo. And because of that, we're starting to hear some rumblings of potentially keeping Gattuso now. Um, when it seemed like it was uh, already decided that he'd be leaving the club. So I want to close with your thoughts on the coaching situation. Do you think there's anything that Gattuso can do to keep his job or has that decision already been made? No, such a slippery slope, isn't it? If you would ask me before this season started, if we end up in a Champions League spot, should Gattuso keep his job? Absolutely. There's not even a doubt because I really didn't even expect to get a top four spot, to be honest with you. But it's an extremely tough call because... I feel like if you keep Gattuso, if he gets a top four spot and you keep him, because of his tactics or lack of tactics, I'm going to say, I don't expect this team to win a Scudetto with him. Now, do I feel like we'll stay competitive? Do I feel like we could continue to be a, a top four team? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that could happen. But what worries me the most about Gattuso and his and his tactics, and his substitutions or his rotations, what worries me the most is this team hasn't taken on an identity yet. And I expected that with him. I expected more Grinta. I, I, I expected this team to gel a lot quicker and have a lot of heart and fight. To be honest, I don't see that. Yeah, the team is playing well. And yeah, we won five out of five out of our last six. And you know what? You're not going to go out there and find someone who's a lot better right now. But it's really a tough call. I'm really torn when it comes to Gattuso because I like him. But at the same time, I want a tactician instead. It's tough. I'm I'm in the same boat. I, I really don't know because I, I was asked about this on the rant last week. And, and I said the same thing that I'm torn because I think of Serie A next season and I think it'll be just as competitive because clubs are still not going to be able to spend big bucks in the summer, which means Inter and, and Juve, well, Inter are probably set, but Juve need to add some pieces for sure. So I think there's the potential to have another competitive season, which means another chance at a legitimate chance of winning the Scudetto. But I agree. I don't know if Gattuso's the guy that's going to get you there. 
that was listening to Caltroland and Napoli Outsider was a guest, and one of the things he pointed out was that if we qualify for the Champions League, or even if we end up in Europa League, or now you have this wafer conference league so regardless of which of those tournaments you play you are going to be playing a lot of weeks two games a week and Gattuso's having success playing once a week and he's talked a lot about that as a reason or if you want to call it an excuse for why we've had some struggles this season so you know is he the guy you want when you're probably going to be playing a lot of games twice a week next season on the other hand, there's so many names out there. Maybe we can go through a couple of them, but none of them seem to be great. I, I don't think Sadi's coming back, nor do I want him to. I personally don't think Allegri is coming to Napoli. So when you look at, at the remaining names that are out there, you have Vincenzo Italiano at Spezia, Ivan Juric at Hellas Verona, uh, Roberto De Zerbi at Sassuolo, Simone Inzaghi's name has been thrown out there, which is an interesting one. And even Paolo Fonseca, who I think, given his record against top clubs, we probably don't want either. But are there any names out of those ones or any other ones that you would consider? Napoli outsider. That guy's amazing, isn't he? <laughs> I hope he adds <laughs> me again on uh, on Twitter. This is the thing. I feel like any of those guys you bring in, it's at least a two-year project. So... Do you stay with Catuso? You know, do you ride it out next year? Do you stay in the top four and stay competitive? Or do you try to get a, a new coach, be patient with him, which is not going to be easy, especially with this fan base. That's never easy. But I feel like all of them would be at least a two-year project. Sorry, I don't want to see it all. I don't forgive that guy. I don't want him back. I don't care. But if he did come, you know, he knows this team. And uh, he knows the core players, and I feel like he would do okay. I don't want to see him. I don't want it, but I guess he would do well. Uh, Allegri is is really the guy that I would want to see. I don't think that's going to happen either. But at this point in time, we just want a coach that's going to implement his identity into this team. And that's what's lacking with Gattuso, to be honest with you. Do they fight for him? Yeah, they're starting to. But I still don't see an identity with this team. Until I see it consistently, I don't know if he should stay or not. But I will say, out of all those new coaches or potential coaches that you mentioned, I would say Yurik is probably the best fit. Only because I like the way he does his high press. I like the way defensively how he'll play man-to-man. I feel like his identity would be taken right away. And listen... I'm not saying the guy's going to go and win a Scudetto with Napoli or anything like that, but I like my chances with him. As far as the personnel, as far as the players, I think it would probably fit Deserbi probably better than anyone else because of his style. And uh, I just feel like Taliano is just not ready for that kind of job. That's how I feel about those guys. Yeah, I think you nailed it on every one of them. There's pros and cons. Juric is the more experienced, I guess you can say, and I, I'd feel the most comfortable bringing him in, at least risk. But he plays a 3-5-2, so that, that makes me a little bit concerned of how he would manage the attack um, when you have to balance having Osimen, Lozano, Insigne, Mertens, Politano even. There's Zielinski. Uh, I guess Zielinski can drop into the midfield, but that seems like a little bit tricky. But definitely, I'd... I'd lean towards him over the Zerbi and Italiano. Italiano 
seems like a big gamble. I know a lot of people have kind of compared it to when we first hired Sadi coming out of Empoli. You know, it went well the first time, but it could go horribly wrong the second time. You think of um, some of the other coaches, Giampaolo, for example, sometimes they're not ready for the big club. And the Zerbi, I think I agree, he can probably do the best with these tools, but I'm not entirely convinced on him either. I mean, you look at Sassuolo's season this year, yeah, they're not as deep as as we are in terms of talent. But I just wonder, that guy going to really get you that much more? He'll give you an identity, I agree, but will he deliver that much more than Gattuso would? I don't really know. And then Inzaghi, I, I just don't see him joining because we're right now a little too similar to Lazio in the sense that we're finishing around the same place in the table. I think if Finzaghi is going to leave Lazio, it's going to be to join a bigger club like Inter or like Juve, where he has a chance to be a favorite to win the Scudetto and do more in Europe. Otherwise, I think he'll just renew with Lazio. So let's wrap it up there. Joey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me. It was a long time coming, and and it definitely won't be the last time. Any final thoughts before I let you go? I just want to tell you, man, you're doing a great job. I listen to your podcast all the time. I listen in traffic. I'm on my way to work. All the guests you've had on, they've done really well. I'd love to be on here again, man. I think it was an honor. I'm very grateful that that you thought of me to put me on a podcast. And um, listen, man. All I can say is keep up the good work. Forza Napoli sempre. Thank you, Joey. I definitely we'll have you back on. And I would have done it a lot sooner, but I wanted to pick a big spot just for you. So this seemed like the right moment. We'll be back with another episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide soon. I haven't figured out yet when we're going to record the next one. So keep an eye out for that. We'll also have our regular episode later in the week, probably in a couple of days. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.